Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Mink, written by Zachariah Johnson. A noir blend of crime and horror. It's 1993, a year of optimism, change, and killer music, when Keith Van Spiker, a penniless Gulf War veteran and would-be guitar hero, takes a job with the Animal Liberation Front, also known as ALF, to infiltrate a Wisconsin mink ranch and find out what happened to the last guy they sent there who subsequently vanished. Keyes just wants to earn enough cash to take his guitar and follow the stampede to Seattle, but finding out what happened proves hairier than he bargained for. Sinister doings and suspects abound on the ranch, in Madison, and among the ALF members themselves. Keyes can't tell whom to trust as he risks his own skin delving into the grisly business of fur farming and double crosses in this novel described as the Monkey Wrench Gang meets Psycho. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Mink. Chapter 1 Winchester, Virginia Monday, August 16, 1993 The day Keyes Van Spiker killed his father began with great promise. Still damp inside his bathrobe, his long blonde hair tucked inside his mother's shower cap, Keyes tracked a line of wet footprints over the kitchen tiles of his childhood home on his way to the fridge. The blocky old unit's door was festooned in magnets holding the postcards he'd sent his parents, his mom to be honest, over the previous five years. A few from Fort Hood Army Base in Texas, a few more from his Desert Shield deployment in Kuwait, when he'd written weekly, none at all from the period of Desert Storm in Iraq. A smaller cluster of postcards showed his early travels in Costa Rica with Danny Woods, his high school pal turned army buddy turned post-army beach bum. The day they got their discharge papers, they'd converted their enlistment bonuses into traveler's checks and headed south determined to do nothing constructive until they'd surfed, slept, and partied away their last dollar and forgotten every explosion, every flaming oil well, every skeletonized driver inside every burned-out car along the highway to Baghdad, and every day spent hacking up black phlegm under the smoke-roiled skies of wartime Iraq. Hence, the Costa Rican postcards were mostly from the early months, his correspondence having tapered off as he played guitar more in his hammock and slept in a little later each day. Keyes poured himself a tall glass of whole milk, glugged half of it, refilled the glass, and stood, resting his palms on the edge of the sink, staring out the window above it at the various shrubs his mother had planted. Rhododendrons, forsythias, lilacs. They were all early blooming plants of the kind that sport dramatic blossoms for a few weeks each spring before sinking into a drab, uniform green the rest of the year. Keyes had worked on song lyrics all morning and was in a poetic mood, so the aptness of quick blooming plants fading into army green as a metaphor for his own life was not lost on him. Through the window, he saw nothing in the yard more exotic than a house sparrow, so he finished the milk, put the unrinsed glass in the sink, and grabbed the previous day's newspaper off the table on the way to his childhood room where he'd lived since abandoning Danny to drive their van from Costa Rica to Seattle by himself when Keyes flew home in answer to his mom's summons that his dad was in the ICU. 
that had been in May. Keyes was now not only broke, but by his father's way of thinking, Keyes was in debt to him for a summer's worth of room and board, despite working for the old man the whole time, fixing air conditioners and heating units. So what if your dad had a heart attack? Danny had said the day Keyes broke the news that he'd spent his last dollar for a direct flight from San Jose to D.C. Never go home on a one-way ticket. Winchester's a tar pit and you know it. You'll never get out. Three months later, Danny's warning had come true. Keyes entered his room singing a song he'd written that morning. Whatever I may have said and done, it was worse on me than anyone. Decent hook, he thought. Not George Jones, but not bad. Newspaper in hand, he hoped against hope he'd find a job he could do among its ads. Any job not working for his father. He sorted through the stack of cassettes lying on top of his dresser and decided to re-listen to the latest Ice Cube album, Predator. Even at 23, Keyes adhered strictly to the parental warning label, and only played it when his parents weren't in the house. Keyes had been a metalhead when he joined Uncle Sam's Big Green Machine straight out of high school in 87. Growing up in rural Virginia, he'd been vaguely aware, but unschooled in genres outside of metal and country. But serving with troops from all walks of life had expanded his musical world to include most types of American music and a few other varieties. He pushed play on his dual cassette boombox and flopped onto his regulation-tight bed. Shuffling the classifieds to the bottom of the stack, he scanned the newspaper's other sections in order from A to E. The articles in the main section were all updates on scandals that broke over the summer. More child molestation charges against the world's foremost pop star, more bluster from all sides in Somalia, where the U.S. military had bombed a peace conference of local elders, killing everyone except Mohammed Farah Aidid, the man they'd been targeting. There was an op-ed warning about the nascent right-wing militia movement in response to a massacre of 70 members of some wacko church in Waco, Texas that April by federal law enforcement. Waco was near Fort Hood, where Key's cavalry division had been officially stationed before shipping out for Kuwait. During the Waco siege, he and Danny had been camping on a beach in Costa Rica, deep into their post-army lotus eating, and the images of burning buildings and dead government agents and flak jackets they'd seen on the TV in the cantina looked too much like the images of war they'd gone to CR to forget. They avoided bars with TVs after that. Page 5 was entirely dedicated to threats and counter-threats from Iraq, which the neophyte President Clinton had bombed in retaliation for Saddam Hussein's attempted assassination of ex-President George H.W. Bush. Should have handled that shit for good while we were there, Keyes muttered, flipping the page after seeing the headlines. He skimmed the sports section, paused to appreciate the nude model in a People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals ad, declaring she'd rather go naked than wear fur, then flipped through the local news, scanning for pictures of his class of 87 cohort. It seemed Generation X was never featured. Since he'd flown back to Winchester, he hadn't run into a single old friend from high school. They were all either gone or too embarrassed to be seen. The little mountain town held few rewards for the young, but many traps. 
He tossed the local news section aside, then let his hand flop onto the classifieds, pretending to ignore them. Fine, get it over with, he said, picking them up. He pulled off the shower cap and let his yellow mane free, then began to read through the list of ill-paying local jobs. Danny said jobs were plentiful in Seattle, but Keyes didn't have enough gas money to get there, let alone pay for rent or food once he arrived. An ad outlined in black caught his eye. Healthy volunteers sought for medical testing. Six-week program. All expenses paid. Earn $3,000. Call 8 to 4 Central Time, Monday through Friday. A phone number followed with an unfamiliar area code. 608? Where's that? He retrieved the phone book from the kitchen, browsing through the list of area codes at the front until he found a match. Wisconsin? What the hell is medical testing? He wondered. It sounded like popping pills. Like those the army had forced on the soldiers in Iraq. Pep pills, anti-poison gas pills, anti-malaria pills that made guys so crazy the sergeants started turning their backs so anyone who wanted to could spit them out and kick sand over them. Testing sounded dangerous. But $3,000? That sounded like freedom. The phone jangled and Keys hopped up to stop the stereo before answering. Van Spikers. I still can't believe that's your name, Danny said. A proud legacy. How's Seattle? Pura Vida, brother, Danny replied with the popular Costa Rican phrase. Be better when you get here. Working on it, Keyes said. He picked up the newspaper. You know Wisconsin? You mean like cheese and cows and cheese? Yeah, that one. I got a line on a job there that can pay my way out in six weeks. Then we can start gigging. Find a bass player yet? No. Six weeks? Damn, man, I'm tired of living in the van. People are starting to notice. Ooh, the cops hassling you? Keys asked. He found himself twirling his hair with his free hand, a new habit, and made himself stop. No, I see people watching it. There's footsteps some nights that wake me up. I swear I'm being followed. Who is it? I don't know. I move the van across town, but a couple nights later, they're back. That's weird. You should get a place. You know what rent's like in Seattle? This ain't Winchester. Danny paused, then said, I hawked my drums. The hell, dude? How are you going to gig if you don't have your kit? I only pawn them. This way they can't steal them. Who? The guy's following me, man. Aren't you listening? I'm working the docks now. Three nights a week, I got 12-hour shifts unloading ships, so I got to leave the van alone some nights. I couldn't stop worrying knowing the drums were inside. I'll buy them back when you get here. Just tell your dad to pay you what he owes you and scram. Working on it. Dad's saying I owe him money now. Let me call this place in Wisconsin. That's halfway to Seattle. In six weeks, I'll have three grand and we'll be skipping stones in the Pacific. Seattle's not on the coast. Whatever. You cut your hair yet? No way. You'll cut yours first. I never lose a bet. Later, dude. Later. Keys returned the phone to its cradle and then listened to the exquisite silence in the empty house. No bombs. No drill sergeants. No bullshit razzing from his dad. 
He prayed neither of his parents came home for lunch. He'd timed his morning jogs to avoid them both for the past week and thought the less time spent together before he split, the more likely they could avoid a permanent rift, though he didn't plan on leaving without the old man giving him his due. He lay still for another five minutes, savoring the quiet, then grabbed a pen and notebook and dialed the number in Wisconsin. The call with the clinic went well. He answered negative to their questions about drug use, and they gave him a report date to show up in Madison. Cash and freedom were again within reach, all for the cost of a few measly pints of blood. Reveling in his luck, he heard the slamming sound of the kitchen door that announced his father's return. Who left these goddamn footprints all over the kitchen floor? The old man bellowed. Instead of answering, he slipped on a pair of headphones and restarted the cassette intending to keep his good fortune secret for a few more hours. Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Mink, written by Zachariah Johnson. A noir blend of crime and horror. It's 1993, a year of optimism, change, and killer music, when Keys Van Spiker, a penniless Gulf War veteran and would-be guitar hero, takes a job with the Animal Liberation Front, also known as ALF, to infiltrate a Wisconsin mink ranch and find out what happened to the last guy they sent there who subsequently vanished. Keyes just wants to earn enough cash to take his guitar and follow the stampede to Seattle, but finding out what happened proves hairier than he bargained for. Sinister doings and suspects abound on the ranch, in Madison, and among the ALF members themselves. Keyes can't tell whom to trust as he risks his own skin delving into the grisly business of fur farming and double crosses in this novel described as the Monkey Wrench Gang meets Psycho. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Mink. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Mink. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon, Audible, and iTunes.